Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv giving. Enjoy. All right, so we're in the middle of a series called The Promise. And it is so vitally important that we know how to read God's promises in the Bible and how to set them in our hearts because promises mean everything. They really do. Every bit of life, every bit of industry, every relationship is built on promises. Even every day, day to day, we make little promises to each other all the time. Hopefully we mean to fulfill most of them, uh, but sometimes we just may say some flippant things and, and it has some consequences. Frank Sonnenberg says this. He's a big kind of character blogger. He says, many people are pretty casual about making promises. As a result, promises are frequently made at the drop of a hat, perhaps with no intention on keeping them. Hey, let's do lunch. Call you later. I'm going to be five minutes late when you know you're 12 minutes late. That kind of stuff, right? So even on the little promises, that's where trust is built. And that's where relationships are forged, in the promises. Promises made and promises kept. Uh, I am uh, privileged to be friends with people from every generation, and I love my traditions friends, the 70 plus. You hang out with that crowd, and they will say all the time, your, bond, your word is your what? Bond. Your word is your bond. So those older generations just kind of understand at the depth of their being that when you say something, you really need to mean it and you really need to follow through because they understand uh, the consequences of being flippant about our word. And so when we look at God's word, it's very important that we know what those promises are and how to take those promises. Now, we know there are two kinds of promises. There's conditional promises and unconditional promises. And in the Bible, there are both and if we don't know the difference between the two, we're going to be kind of lost and confused. So let's talk about the old promises. The old promises in the Old Testament are conditional promises. Let's just say quid pro quo, right? There's a quid, there's a quo. You do this, you get that. Conditional two-way promises. Now, those are not necessarily better or, or worse than the unconditional promises. They just have their place. For example, if you have a mortgage, it's a promise. You can stay in a house you call your own if what? You make the payments. It's a quid pro quo. It's a conditional promise. Insurance is a promise. If you pay your bill when you need it, they'll cover you, right? Employment is a promise. You're going to get that check if what? You do the work. And, and this is just kind of normal life, conditional promises. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there are conditional promises. You do this, I do that between God and Israel. So the Old Testament is really about Israel managing this conditional promise with God. And I'm going to show you those, those promises. Exodus chapter 19. If you know your Sunday school stories, Israel, about a half a million people, was delivered from slavery from Egypt. They're wandering around um, the Sinai Peninsula for about 40 years. And God says, listen, you're going to be a mess. Half a million people dumped in a desert. You're, you'd have no government. And so here's a government. Here's the, here's the law, what we call the Ten Commandments. And uh, you can say the law of Moses was a government that was given to these wandering tribes of Israel. And in that, there was a promise. It's, it's almost similar to our own government. It's a, it's a conditional promise that says, listen, if you obey the laws, you'll be okay as a nation. And does that kind of make sense? If we obey the laws of the land, we'll be okay as a nation. Don't kill each other, don't steal stuff. Our laws are, you can argue, argue, founded upon the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic laws first given to Israel. It's really simple. God says, here's a government, we're gonna call it my law. If you do this, you're gonna succeed. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple. That's the entire Old Testament. 
Exodus 19, five and eight says this. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, what's the key word there? If, this is conditional. God says to these people wandering in the wilderness, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among the peoples of the earth for all the earth belongs to me. And then the people responded in verse eight. All the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Now, this is a moment of great sort of, you know, emotion. God gave the law. God gave them a government. This is going to civilize you. This is going to make you prosperous. And the people said in a moment of emotion, yes, I'm going to do that, right? It's almost like if you went to a Christian summer camp as a kid, this is their campfire moment. You know, you've had the messages all week and you have the environment and everything's just quite right. And you stand up at the campfire and say, I'm going to obey God for the rest of my life, right? It's kind of that moment. Did it actually happen? What's the answer? No, didn't actually happen. Five minutes later, they're worshiping a cow, a golden cow. So, but there's a motivation here. It's a big if. If you obey me, then you're going to prosper. Uh, a little bit later in their history, Deuteronomy 28, here is a more, more detail about the quid pro quo between God and them. You will experience all these blessings, God says, if you obey the Lord your God. And here's the blessing. Your towns and fields will be blessed. Your children, your crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herd and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. If you want better breadboards, you've got to follow the rules, people. Uh, wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. And the Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. And so Israel was trying to figure out what does God want so we can get prosperity and military uh, successes. That's the Old Testament. If they did their part as a country, followed the laws, God says you will prosper and you'll have military victories. That's the Old Testament. Did it work? It did not. It did not work. At the beginning of the Old Testament, Israel is enslaved for 400 years and God is silent. At the end of the Old Testament, Israel is in captivity for 400 years and God is silent. The whole Old Testament, quid pro quo, old covenant, old promises did not work. The whole idea that a nation could be obedient to God, so obedient to God that God will be so impressed that he blesses them with prosperity and military victories. It fell apart, it crumbled. Now here's the sad reality. So many people sitting in Christian churches are still living in the old covenant. They're still living in the quid pro quo relationship with God. I'd say most people sitting in most Christian churches are still living in the quid pro quo old covenant. Most people are thinking, you know, uh, if I only do better for God, he will give me what I want. He'll answer my prayers. He'll bless my life, right? And, and sermon after sermon is the same thing. God is perfect. You are not. Do better. We've talked about that. And so people, Christians, are sitting in churches believing God wants them to do better. And if they do better, if they're better people, if they're more obedient, more religious, if they spend more time in God's word, or more time in prayer, more time in obedience, more money given, more time given volunteering, that God will be so impressed with them, he'll bless their lives. Most people think that. We are here at Rancho. We are such a grace-based church as we get criticism from all over the place about how grace-based we are, right? Yet still, I believe a lot of people who are, are, are faithful Rancho churchgoers still in their hearts don't quite fully believe that God is 100% for them and never against them, that they are always in a state of perpetual and eternal forgiveness and love and grace because it's so hard to believe. It's so hard to believe that between us and God, there is no quid pro quo, that God wants nothing from us. He wants nothing from us. He's fine 
as he is. He doesn't need our faithfulness. He doesn't need our obedience. He doesn't need us to do a lot of things and jump through a lot of religious hoops to get him to clap his hands so he can bless our lives. We are just blessed. And if we don't believe we have God's unconditional grace and unconditional forgiveness upon us, we are still living in the old covenant. We're still living in the quid pro quo. And that's a curse. People today still believe they live under the Old Testament law, that the Old Testament is still relevant over their lives today, and it is not. And this is where I get busted quite a bit because people say, well, Treadway doesn't believe the Old Testament. Well, what are you talking about? I absolutely believe the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament because it tells us everything that didn't work that fell apart that I'm no longer under. That's a really great way to read the Old Testament, right? But I do get a little bit in trouble, so let me get in trouble a little bit more. You ready? Living under the Old Testament law, living under the Old Testament as though it has authority over our lives is a curse. It's a curse. Why do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. It's really simple. The scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. Now, the law is not a curse. The law was actually a blessing to the Jews wandering in the wilderness because it was their governmental system to keep them together, to keep them you know, alive, to, to protect them. And so they, they weren't living in kind of tribal chaos. God gave them the government. As long as they followed the rules, they were blessed as a government. When they didn't follow the rules, they weren't blessed as a government and were vulnerable to attack. And that's what happened in the Old Testament. The Old Testament government for wandering Jews with all the threats and punishments and religious traditions are not meant for us. They're not. They're a journey that we walk when we read it. We read this in a way that says, okay, all of this, quid pro quo, all of these conditional promises, all of these threats of punishments, all of that was to point to Jesus. So a day would come when we don't have to do any of this. That's how to read the Old Testament. In fact, the whole system of religious laws to earn blessing and success, it all failed. It wasn't God's failure, it was our failure. Because keep in mind, we are Israel as well. If Israel failed to obey all the laws and commandments and failed to live in the blessing of all that, we would have too. Israel is us. We simply aren't capable of making ourselves right with God. None of us. None of us. That's why a new promise was needed. The old promise fell apart. The old you do this, I do that, religious paradigm fell apart. But it all pointed towards the fulfillment of the promise that would come. A new covenant, a new day, a new era where God's laws and commandments over Israel to give them a government so they could succeed, all of that will be set aside. And that day was in Jesus. So here's the punchline. Ephesians 2.15. Christ ended the system of law with his commandments and regulations. It can't get any more clear than that. If anybody comes to me and says, hey, you just don't believe in the Old Testament or um, you, know, you, you say the Old Testament isn't the authority over our lives, therefore you must not believe it's the word of God, I, I just read. Christ ended the system of law with its commandments and regulations. It's ended. And it's awesome that it's ended because who wants to live under that, right? Who wants to live under that? Who wants to live under this constant thread that if you fail on these points that God's gonna get you, he's gonna zap you. Maybe you're not even saved. And I remember living in that, right? 
I remember growing up in a church environment by well-intended people, and they wanted me to be obedient, and so they kind of used some of the old covenant threats to make me obedient. This happens all the time with moral policing as we want, particularly young people, we want young people to, to obey so that God will bless them and so that they'll have eternal life. We want that so bad, even though the whole system is wrong, we want it so bad that we will use old covenant threats to kind of get people in a moral box so we can say, ah, they're moral. That means they're good. And if they're good, that means God will bless their life. And if God's going to bless their life, that means they're going to go to heaven. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's a curse. We've got to be free from that. Absolutely free from that. But it's so hard. It's, it, it's so hard to live free. And that's what the Israelites were going through. They were striving to obey these commandments because if they obeyed, God would bless them. So let me give you the context here, just as a quick reminder. Uh, in, in map one here, we have the Assyrians had taken over the 10 tribes of the north. That's where Jeremiah was. Jeremiah was under the, the rule of the Assyrians uh, who just destroyed 10 tribes in the north. He was living in Judah at the time. Shortly after that, 20 years later, Ezekiel lived under the Babylonian rule. Babylonians sweep in and they um, destroy uh, the Assyrian empire and they destroy the last two tribes of Israel. That's where Ezekiel came. And the reason why I mentioned Jeremiah under the Assyrians and Ezekiel under the Babylonians is because God used those two in the worst possible old covenant scenario. They had lost everything. In the worst scenario in the old covenant, when it all collapsed, God made a promise that a new covenant would come. In fact, this was a time where their land was gone, their sovereignty was gone, their freedom was gone, their home was gone, their religious traditions were gone, their temple was gone, their capital was gone, their priests were gone. Everything that defined their culture, their worldview, their family, their walk with God, it was all taken away first by the Assyrians, then by the Babylonians. And when the entire system of quid pro quo collapsed, they were never obedient on the quid, and so God never delivered the quo, that's when a promise was made through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel. In fact, when the old conditional arrangement with Israel fell apart, God promised that something brand new would come. An unconditional promise that God would no longer give us what we deserve. I want to read that again. This is key. The old covenant, quid pro quo, you do this, I do this, was about God giving us what we deserve. But instead, there's a new covenant where we are freely given unconditional forgiving grace to everyone through Christ Jesus, received by faith, enjoyed in good times and in bad. That's pure gold. That's how to read the Old Testament, a conditional covenant that never went well, but even in the midst of the tragedy of the Old Testament, the Old Testament's a tragedy. Even in the midst of the worst of the tragedy, God made two promises to Jeremiah and to Ezekiel that a new day would come, bringing a new covenant, a new promise that is unconditional. Now we have less experience with unconditional covenants. We have a lot of experience with conditional covenants, conditional promises, but unconditional promises are a little less familiar to us. Uh, marriage should be an unconditional covenant. In fact, we say when we're maybe a little bit young, maybe not fully understanding what we're saying, better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness, sin, and health, right? That's an unconditional promise. But then humanity takes place, and sometimes that doesn't make it to the finish line, and that's understandable. The only relationship I think that can get close to understanding an unconditional covenantal promise is the relationship a parent has with their child. Now, we never make an oath to our child. Well, I'll take that back. These parents made some gnarly oaths to their kids. We're going to hold them accountable every day. Uh, but that's, that's the kind of oath that is given to a, to a child. We're your parent, 
And, and truly that is better for worse, richer for poorer, sickness and in health. Even if our kids make a total disaster of their life and try very hard to ruin the entire family, a parent's heart is always towards and for their kids. So that's about as close as we can get to the heart of God for us. That's about as close as we can get to an unconditional covenant. And that unconditional covenant promised in the worst of Israel's failure was given first to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. That day, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. God said there's gonna come a day where there is no written law, no written governmental law, no command that says don't kill somebody because your heart says, I don't think I wanna kill somebody. Back in ancient civilization, it was tribal and it was angry and it was military and it was war and it was violence. And so God had to put these commandments on there for their survival, right? We don't need those anymore. Do you need to review the commandments to make sure you don't kill anybody today? I hope not. If, that's, if you had to, you're in trouble, you need help. We have help, we have people. Um, we don't need commandments. Hopefully we don't need a commandment to say, hey, don't steal from your neighbor. Hopefully we don't need a written law for that. Why? Because there's something deeper in our heart. It's God's will, God's love in our heart that compels us to do what's right. So in Jeremiah, there was this promise that even though there's wars collapsing around us, our people are being killed and our people are being taken away, God says, trust me, there's gonna come a day where it's gonna be about the heart, not about the failure of the religious systems around you. In fact, the new covenant will be better. It'll be an unconditional promise to forgive and give eternal life, not based on our shaky obedience, but based on God's unshakable grace. This new covenant is unconditional. There is no quid pro quo. There is nothing we offer God. It's simply God saying, I give this to you. I give you forgiveness. I give you grace. I give you my presence. No matter what's going on around you, you have it all just because I said so. And I did it all through Jesus. I did it all through Jesus. I vividly remember when I had my grace awakening. I've spoken about it a couple times here. Uh, it was just out of high school and I was really wrestling with um, God's promises. And I was wrestling through this sort of religious system that I was raised in. And I was raising it through well-meaning people who wanted me to obey. They wanted me to, you know, experience all the, uh, you know, rules and the religious expectations. And, and I did a lot of that. I was a pretty good church kid. I really was. And uh, I was uh, appointed to ministry as a result of that. Because I complied with the religious rules and regulations, I was patted on the back. It's where I got my affirmation. And they said, okay, now, you got, now you're going to go into ministry. And, and I wanted to. I wasn't forced into it. But when I got into ministry way too young, before my grace awakening, all the stuff that was poured into me, all the quid pro quo, here's what God wants from you. Here are the expectations. All the sermons that said, God perfect, you're not, do better. All that stuff was populating my mind. So I became on good days, a pretty arrogant, judgy religious people. On bad days, I was racked with guilt because I wasn't doing enough. And I would say, even as a good church going kid, I rarely had any confidence that God accepted me, that God loved me, or I was going to heaven when I die because God always wanted more. I never achieved perfection. And as long as I wasn't perfect, that means I always was defined as a failure, always defined as a sinner, and always needed to do more. It's a slavery, it's a curse. And over about two or three years, through some good people that poured into my life and just me kind of starting to read outside of my box and to read the word of God through this lens that we're talking about right now, 
I'm telling you, the scales came off my eyes and I have been free ever since. And I continue to grow in that freedom and making it my life's cause to make sure that everybody trapped in the curse of old covenant religion is set free to just enjoy God, enjoy being loved by God, enjoy being forgiven by God, enjoy this reality that God needs nothing from us. He pours out everything to us. And the more we receive that, the more we take pleasure in that, really the better people we become. We become happier, we become more loving, and we become the kind of people that God wants us to be. Not motivated by external laws of, of threats, but motivated by a relationship with God from the heart in a new covenant, an unconditional promise of forgiveness. But the thing that really tipped it for me was this realization that the new covenant is not another set of rules and regulations, but the new covenant is in fact a person. Jesus Christ is the new covenant. He said this in the Last Supper, and we're going to celebrate the Last Supper in a few weeks, the Thursday before Easter. And we're going to read this verse, Luke twenty two twenty. After that Passover supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Does God require anything of us in this passage? There's nothing that we need to do for him here. Jesus steps up and Jesus says, I've got it. I've got it covered. I'll take care of everything. It's a new covenant where God says, listen, I'm just gonna forgive you. Thank you very much. I'm gonna give you new life. Thank you very much. I'm gonna give you eternal life. It's just gonna be here, take, take. That's the new covenant and it's sealed by the blood of Christ. To put it this way, Jesus obeyed the entire old covenant law for us, done, fulfilled. 603 laws in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, Jesus says, fulfilled it, done, you got it. When God looks at you, he looks at you as righteous as Jesus. No matter what you've done in the past, he looks at you and he says, you are as righteous as Jesus. It's a gift that he gave us. Jesus obeyed the entire covenant law for us. Jesus became the perfect priest. We don't need priests to mediate and to get us to God. We don't need pastors to mediate and get us to God. I don't even know why I'm here half the time. Like, we are in a right relationship with God by grace. We don't need any priests. We don't need any pastors. Jesus became the perfect temple. We don't need sanctuaries. We don't need anything physical or tangible to, to, to get us to God through any religious traditions. We are in a right relationship with God freely by grace. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice. You read the old covenant law and you see sacrifice after sacrifice, blood sacrifices and grain sacrifices. And Jesus says, listen, I'm laying down my life for the cause of bringing the whole world into relationship with God. We don't need any more sacrifices. I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 7. We are confident. I love the confidence that comes with this new covenant, unconditional covenant of grace and forgiveness. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. We don't trust in ourselves and our obedience and our kind of pathway to righteousness. We trust in what God did through Christ. It's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. If you've ever felt unworthy before God, if you've ever felt I can't pray because I made a mistake today, if you've ever felt separated from God, that means you're living under the curse of the old covenant quid pro quo. New covenant freedom means right here, right now, me and God are good. Perfectly united, right here, right now. Even if you blew it this morning, flew off the handle with your kid, said something you didn't, whatever, you're good right now with God. This is going to be really crazy for the grammar people. You're never not forgiven. That's a twist of a quote from the Crudes. You're never not forgiven. 
And I put it that way because sometimes we feel as though, you know, there's something between God and, and, and me. You might have been raised in church that said, lied to you and said your sin separates you from God. It does not. Our sin, our failures, and we all fail, it does not separate us from God. In fact, if you read the book of Galatians, and I want to encourage you, urge you, I'm demanding right now, until you are free from old covenant religion, you can't stop reading the book of Galatians. It's just five chapters. Read it over and over and over again. Galatians says living under the law never worked and never made anybody holy, never made anybody righteous, never made anybody good. Galatians also says, if you think your sin separates you from God, then the cross of Christ is completely nullified. Jesus died to forgive our sin. So if we ever think that our sin separates us from God, then we nullify the cross of Christ. And he says, don't do that. Live as though and believe as though you are always in perfect unity with God. Perfect unity with God. Because he gave you that as a gift. It's a free gift. There you go. We're good. You're forgiven. You're loved. Goes on to say, he has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. Not just receiving this, but giving this out. Giving God's love out. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. This is the Bible, the New Testament, and the New Covenant saying that the Old Covenant ended in death, and that's exactly what happened. The Old Covenant is a tragedy. The Old Testament's a tragedy that ends in death and captivity. But through the life of Jesus Christ, through this unconditional grace that he pours out upon us, we can live free. There's nothing that separates us from God. We're perfectly united with God by grace, received by faith, not based on anything we've done, and we have a new heart. That's what Ezekiel says. In chapter 36, verse 26, God says, there's coming a day. I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. There's the word obey. Does God want us to live a good life? What's the answer? It's a dumb question, obvious answer. Of course he wants to live, to us to live a good life. He wants us to live a life that honors him, that honors each other. As Jesus says, he wants us to obey the commandment of the kingdom of heaven, love God and love others. God wants us to obey that commandment. Did the 10 commandments with all of its threats, did that make somebody like Jesus? No. What does is a heart relationship with God, a new covenant, a new unconditional promise, and a new heart that says, God, thank you for loving me. As a perfect heavenly father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for accepting me just as I am. And that love compels us to want to love God in return. That love received compels us to want to love others in return. Love compels us to obey the heart of God, not law. Oftentimes I get people kind of hammering me saying, well, if there's no threats, nobody will obey. I'm like, oh gosh, that is just, it just feels yucky to me to even hear myself say that, right? Can you threaten your children into being loving people? I mean, follow that formula. Try, no, don't try. <laughs> follow somebody who was threatened as a kid with violence or punishments. Follow them. The harsher the threat, the more loving the kid. Is that how it goes? That is not how it goes. The more loving the home, the more loving the kid. That's how it goes. That's how God changes the heart. The more loving this family of faith is, the more loving we're gonna become. The more loving we believe our God is, the more loving we are gonna become. That's, that's the true law. That's the true formula. 
Ezekiel 37 goes on to paint a picture of the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant. And instead of reading it, I'm just going to take a minute and a half and I'm going to show you a video depicting this incredible vision, like a dream, that God gave this Old Covenant prophet looking forward to a day to come where we will escape the dry bones of dead religion and we will live the breath of God and the Spirit of God in us. Take a look. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath and say to it, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. All right, so that's Ezekiel 37, when Israel was virtually wiped out, first by the Assyrians and by the Babylonians. Their whole system of religion had, had fallen apart. They couldn't give God their own righteousness. They didn't have it in them. And their whole civilization crumbled. They experienced the dry bones of religion. But then God gave Ezekiel this vision that one day these bones will be brought together and have flesh and have breath there will be a living relationship with God. He'll be a father, we'll be his daughters and his sons, and there will be a union, a, a, an unconditional promise that God will never leave us, that he'll always be with us and always for us and always forgiving us in a constant state of forgiveness, a constant state of union with God only by grace, and we just receive it. We believe it and we receive it. And even in a grace-based church like Rancho, I know there are some people here today whose relationship with God is nothing but dry bones. You think God's disappointed in you. You think you're not good enough. You've got some mistakes and failures rattling around in your memories and you're thinking, I can never be right with God. And you're right, you can't on your own. That's the old covenant, that's the Old Testament. But God said, I promise there will come a day where that will pass away and something brand new will rise. A new promise of unconditional grace and unconditional forgiveness and God proved that by giving his own son, Jesus Christ even to the point of sacrifice. There, there is nothing we can sacrifice for God. Jesus was the sacrifice once for all. We just receive his love. And I wanna close in a prayer of faith, receiving God's love for us, receiving this unconditional promise, and just asking that God will awaken in this church, as Ezekiel 37 says, awaken an army of grace, enjoying the life of God. Not living in the slavery and the curse of religion, but enjoying the life of God that he freely gave to us in Christ. Would you stand as we close in prayer?
Our God and Father, this is the gospel. This is it. This is the good news that we celebrate. And every song and every message that you love us, that your grace is on us, that we are never not forgiven. There is never a time in our life where you will, you will separate yourself from us. You love us, you accept us, you embrace us exactly as we are, even with all of our false flaws and failures. You are a perfect heavenly father that looks upon your daughters and your sons and your affections are always for us. And through Jesus Christ, we see the proof of your love for us. As he gave his, his life every living day, even giving his, his life on a cross for us to be the sacrifice to cover the sins of the world and to rise again from the dead to give us the breath of heaven. Rise again from the dead to give us this assurance that we walk with you now and forever purely by grace based on nothing we've done. And so God, even if we've been in church for decades, it, we have likely been raised in, in a religious system of believing that you need more from us so that you can give more to us. We wanna be free from that curse, free from that prison. We wanna be free to simply embrace your grace, embrace your forgiveness, embrace the fact that you're a loving heavenly father and to live in the peace of that grace, to live in the pleasure of your love for us and then to walk a life of giving other people that same love that you gave to us in Christ. We thank you for the free gift of grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen.